All right, and welcome to our welcome. first Tabernacle Worship podcast. Uh, a few things up front. Uh, we are very excited to announce a couple things. First is we have a new song mm, yeah. coming out May 19th called Jesus Forever. It's a song that we wrote with Levi Smith from Dallas. He is an amazing writer, amazing friend. And um, several of our campus worship pastors, including myself, got to write on this song. It's a really mm -hmm. awesome song. We've been doing it now for, I think, like two years, and we've not released it. So it's... it's At least two years. At least, At two, least years, two years. Maybe somewhere three. around there. Yeah. So great yeah. news is our congregation knows the song. Uh, bad news is they're quite disgruntled that it's taken this long. So uh, that comes out May 19th. It is the first single that we are releasing off of our new project, The Journey of Worship Volume 1. Our second piece of information, which I'm really excited, is about our internship. Yeah. You want to share about yeah. the digital side? Yeah, we are. Uh, this year we're doing a, um invite. Uh, so you can sign up for it on tabernacle.com, but we are streaming the first half of the day. So we'll be meeting on Tuesday and Thursday uh, from 9 to 12 p.m., and we're doing a live stream on Discord. Uh, so how you enroll for that is you go to tabernacle.com, fill out the internship uh, application portion, and uh, you just click that you're going to join us online, and you can stream. Uh, you can uh, be there. Uh, the uh, Discord has has options where you can chat, so you can so you can interact with us while we're teaching material. You can ask questions uh, just like you were there in person. So we're excited to to get that content out and have you guys join us online if you're not able to be there in person, or if you're you know uh, the internship in person is from from ages 15 to 23. You know we've targeted towards younger adults, but. Uh, there's no restriction, of course, online. You can come and, and watch the content, hang out with us, ask questions, mm -hmm. uh, and you're more than welcome to join. So, um, yeah, uh, tabernacle.com and uh, fill out the, the enrollment form there, and we'll, get, and we'll get you the link for the Discord. It's going to be really awesome. All right, so now that we've got those things out of the way, let's jump into our first episode of, I think, probably what's going to end up being six or seven episodes to <laughs> lay the groundwork for... Um, the tabernacle and and why we reference the tabernacle so much. So this is a long-standing thing that we've been building on for the last probably three years, four years. But really, this concept was introduced by Pastor Jimmy Witcher several years ago. Whenever I was, uh, this is this probably seven or eight years ago at this point, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, but the the concept is we use the tabernacle of Moses as a framework for how we execute services, for how we pick out set lists, for how we train worship leaders. And it's a really, um, obviously I'm partial. I love the concept. It is finally given uh, what felt like a very um, subjective process of picking yeah. songs and leading worship. And why did this work? Why did this not work? It's finally given some structure and some, um, yeah, structure's the right word. Absolutely. Some guardrails Absolutely. to what uh -huh. we're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, a, uh, a destination, right? A destination. Uh, a, you know, uh, yeah, some contours of, the, so now we're selecting songs based upon lyrical content and their position in this journey uh, to the Holy of Holies. So, uh, so all of the songs we pick now are based upon the lyrical content, not mm -hmm. so much the musical content or the tempo or any of the things that we chose uh, songs based upon before. You know, uh, so I've heard you mention several times you used to pick song or set list fastest to slowest sure. or biggest to, uh, uh, to to slowest. And what that ended up doing is sometimes it would be a hit if the lyric content matched and took people along the journey. 
Uh, but sometimes it'd be a miss because you'd have a slow song that that was talking about something that uh, that didn't fit this uh, framework of the of the tabernacle. So it's really changed the way that we've looked at planning worship sets, right? And even oh, like absolutely. picked songs for uh, songs that we're going to introduce as well, and and has made us look more closely at the lyric content of songs mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So the the idea here is, is that this this podcast is going to be built around worship content, but we're going to reference the tabernacle a lot. And so what we, what we discovered in this process, this is our sixth time trying to shoot an episode. (laughs) And each time that we shot the episode, we learned something uh, about it and kind of went back and we're like, well, I kind of want to revisit that because that wasn't exactly what we wanted. So this is our latest attempt. I'm not going to say final attempt. (laughs) This is our latest attempt at getting this right of how to tee up and how to explain these things, because these are things, the, this this topic, the tabernacle, we have discussed ad nauseum mm-hmm. for several years now. Yeah, so it's very yeah. commonplace for us. And so it's really easy for us when we start talking about it to go off into the really small facets of it. And so what we're going to try to do through this podcast is lay out the, the groundwork, help to establish a vocabulary, help mm-hmm. to establish a common language between us and you guys so that when we reference these things or when we talk about songs or we talk about worship leading, we talk about anything in life because this this concept really spills out into our everyday life. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into all of that as these episodes go along. But we wanted, to, we wanted to lay out a framework. So this episode today is going to discuss the tabernacle from a large overview. Let's, mm-hmm. let's say a 50,000 foot overview. Yeah. From here out, after we do this episode, we'll go in and talk about each stop and each uh, really unique aspect of the tabernacle. But today mm-hmm. is to discuss the overarching concept of the tabernacle. Right, right. So before we jump in, I want to. There's there's one particular scripture that I think kind of sets the tone for this. It's really it's nothing uh, overtly super deep, mm-hmm. but Exodus twenty five eight says the Israelites were to make a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell among them. So <laughs> there it is. <laughs> this that's why I say it's it's a very simple verse, but this was the command of the Lord. Now what we do from here on out is, you know, as we further go into Exodus, the Lord begins to lay out why. Right, right. Um, why why do this? Why why do we need and I'll pose the question to you, why did the Israelites need the tabernacle? Well, I mean they had been estranged from from God for you know since since the fall. the The tabernacle is the first time that that God sets Himself up. He chooses Israel as His chosen mm-hmm. uh, people, and then He chooses to make His dwelling among them, um, which is pretty crazy. Uh, l- let me look up something. Well, never mind. We'll save that for later. Um, so, God chooses to make His His home among the Israelites. Uh, this is you know a sign of His of His grace, right? Of His uh, gracious provision in choosing choosing the Israelites and choosing to um, to dwell among them and to and to guide them. You know they've been in slavery in Egypt for for over four hundred years, and God sets them free so that they can worship Him. And uh, the first step in God's redemptive process. So you have the the covenant given to Abraham in Genesis, uh, and then all these threats that come into that covenant, and God you know supernaturally providing over and over again for. You know, uh, Sarah and for and for Rebecca, uh, two uh, barren women uh, that he makes to have children. And fast forward to to the time of of 
Moses, he sends Joseph ahead uh, to Egypt and and provides for uh, for his people uh, to come down to, to to Egypt. They're enslaved for 400 years, and then God sets them free so that they can worship him, uh, and God gives him the gift of choosing to dwell among them, his personal presence, being mm-hmm. present with them. They can interact with him. They can commune with him. They can be guided by him. Uh, they can uh, interact with him, hear him, uh, know his his commands. You know, that's something that's kind of taken for granted is they know uh, the Israelites were given the commandments of God. Like they know God's character and God's will for their lives. Whereas other people were wandering around in darkness, the Israelites were given a, a special grace of, mm-hmm. hey, you're able to know exactly what God thinks. Um, so it's really a, the, the beginning of God choosing to dwell among man. And of course, you know, from there, obviously fast forward to, to Jesus and God choosing the tabernacle among us mm-hmm. in the flesh. So you have the first stage of that uh, being played out here. I think something that's really amazing about this is that God showing up at Mount Sinai to set all this off is the first time since the garden that man has seen the tangible presence of God. Yeah. And it's still in a different form, right? So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are able to interact with God in what seems like a very common, normal way that they walk with him in the cool of the evening. It's this, and on Mount Sinai, it's a very different experience, right? So mm-hmm. the, the Israelites are camped at the base of the mountain. The top of the mountain is literally on fire. Uh, looks like, you know, Electro from Spider-Man is up there, like <laughs> shooting fireworks everywhere. It's, it's mm-hmm. a very different picture from the Garden of Eden. But mm-hmm. it's so important because this is the first time since that point, and that would have been several hundred years, it's been the first time that God's tangible presence that man can look and see is showing back up. Right, right. So that's very, very important for us to take note of is that, okay, probably important to check this out if God's showing up in person or in a tangible way. Right, right. So uh, another interesting thing that I find about this whole concept is if we roll back to this Hebrew nation living in Egypt— I find it very important for us to make mention that God chose this specific time to take them out, right? They've been in Egypt for 400 plus years. They've Mm -hmm. been in Egypt long enough that the Egyptian people have forgotten who Joseph is. Right. It's a long time. And Joseph was, you know. What, second in command? Yeah, he was as iconic as—it would be as if people here in America forgot who Abraham Lincoln was. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. But enough time has gone by— that they don't appreciate. The Egyptian people have no reverence for Joseph anymore. Mm -hmm. And now the Israelites are being treated as second-class citizens and literal slaves Mm -hmm. to to the Egyptian people. Also, I find it interesting. I think part, and this is my, this is my, I'm interjecting my opinion here. There's so many commandments throughout the book of Exodus at telling the people of Israel, do not have any other gods before me. Don't take that God. I'm your God. And I think that the Israelite people during this time had gotten so used to and so comfortable with the Egyptian culture that they looked more Egyptian than they looked like God. For sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, they still retained their unique identity, but I don't, I mean, to to my knowledge, I mean, God wouldn't have commanded them uh, or, or wouldn't have sent Moses to deliver them and to tell Pharaoh, set them free so that they may worship me in the desert if mm-hmm. they were worshiping God while they were in Egypt, they must sure. have, you know, retained their identity, but not been able to, obviously they weren't able to practice or to, 
to hold uh, church services. They hadn't been given any, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any of this like uh, a description or, or, or guidelines from the Lord yet. Um, yeah. So, so I think that um, it's really, it's really fascinating too. Like, like thinking of just like um, how long they were enslaved for and how quickly they, free, even after they were freed from slavery, I'm kind of jumping ahead to the next stage no, in the journey. Jump into it, yeah. uh, but it, it, it's interesting how, you know, 40 days after they had been set free from Egypt and been seen this miraculous deliverance from the God, <laughs> the God performed through, through parting the waters of the Dead Sea, the 10 plagues, all this miraculous deliverance from the Lord that they were grumbling and yeah. man, take us back to this place where we didn't know they, you. They live and, up and to their was, name of being the children of Israel. <laughs> Like, cause that's my sure. kids, right? For that's sure. your kids. Yeah, yeah. Like we just, it was just your birthday. And two days later, it's like, well, I want this. <laughs> and it's, um, it's common. We, human nature, right? It's human that, nature. Yeah, that's our, that's part of our And we have nature. this conversation a lot that it's very easy for us to read the book of Exodus from thousands of years past that, looking back and being like, man, I can't believe that they were like that. Yet <laughs> I'm doing it on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis of forgetting what God has done. Mm-hmm. doubting that he can do it and questioning if he's as good as he says he is. Yeah. Right. These are the, it's this, this underlying trust. Yeah. It's this underlying idea that God is having us in situations where we have to lean into him, press into him. And the process is trying to get as much of you off of you and getting you to look more like him yeah. instead of you looking like you. <laughs> sure. Our worst like the the worst we get is the most we look like ourselves, if that makes sense. Sure. The best we are is the closer we look like Jesus, mm-hmm. right? For sure. Okay, so we fast forward. So we've 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 laid a little bit of groundwork. We fast forward. We arrive at this very important mountain, Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets pretty wild at Mount Sinai. Um, a lot of stuff is happening. Um, God has a very profound moment with the people of Israel. Um, Stuff that I've read, things that I've dug into is this is very similar to kind of a marriage proposal. God shows up on Mount Sinai. His people are at the base. Moses becomes this mediator. I also laugh reading this, thinking about how many times Moses had to go up and down the mountain. Seven (laughs) times total. Oh, wow. (laughs) I never counted them. Seven times. Seven times total. Moses is, I cannot, I'm sure at some point he was like, can we just talk down here? Right. God, can you, can you please? He's like, I can't dwell with them. You know, you don't understand if I, if I come down there, everybody's, everybody's yeah. going to be yeah, yeah. done. And they know? can't come up here. Right, right. We can't bring all six They can't touch the mountain or they're going to yeah, yeah, yeah. be incinerated. So they have this moment. Hmm. God says, Moses, ask them if they'll be my people. Moses comes down. You want to be his people? Yeah, we'll be his people. Ask him if he'll be our God. Sure. We have this, what feels like a marriage proposal, right? Will you marry me? Will you be my people? God tells Moses, hey, go tell them for three days, prepare themselves. Don't touch the mountain. You're going to die. God shows up in this wild fashion, right? Smoke, (laughs) lights, (laughs) lightning, fire, the whole thing. And I think it says, I don't know if his voice sounded like a trumpet or it was like a trumpet blast. There was something that was a... (laughs) Basically, like a a signifier of, okay, come up. I, I can't remember what it's like something. What the, what I can't remember was. what it is, but there's something that signifies, hey, I'll let you know when to come up here. That moment happens. The Israelites completely panic, and again, 
I cannot necessarily fault them. I can't imagine what they're seeing in person. Hmm. They decide not to. They tell Moses, uh-uh, go, you go talk to him for us. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I find this, this moment very profound. And this is, this is, I'm quoting this from Logos. This is not, this is not me. But what's amazing about this moment is God was wanting the people of Israelite to be a nation of priest kings or to be a nation of priests, right? Mm-hmm. Kingdom of priests, right? Yeah. But instead, because of this fear and because they chose not to obey, ultimately, they became a nation led by a priest or mediated mm-hmm. by a priest. So Moses now assumes this role where you had the opportunity to go face to face with God mm-hmm. and come up on the mountain. Now I will say this passage is very confusing because it, def- it definitely looks like, Hey, don't come up on the mountain. Now come up on the mountain, but don't come up on the mountain. It's very confusing. <laughs> like I read it several times like, and oh, ultimately I think I resorted to looking up a Bible project video <laughs> or a podcast to listen to it, to understand it. But, um, a very interesting exchange is happening here. Mm-hmm. God shows up, commands his people, people panic. I'm not sure if you're as good as you say you are. I'm not sure if you're safe. Right, right. I'm not sure if I'm safe. I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. God says, okay, we're going to have to figure out a different way. And it's at this point that God then says, Moses, come back up. I'm going to give you instructions, right? Mm-hmm. So he lays out the instructions. Um, this is a pretty baited question. Are these simple instructions? Uh, I don't, I mean, they... In essence, they are because they are like they are, uh, you know. If you so, so, if you take like the, is he talking about the Ten Commandments here, or or, 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 the, the, or the, the tabernacle the instruction for the tabernacle? So gotcha. yes, he gives he gives the commandments. He lays out the rules for these people to follow. But that was pre like the the ceremony where sure. where where uh, he's he's asking them to be his people. He gives them the commandments before that. Mm-hmm. Well, first he says, "You're my people. I've chosen you," uh, and then he says. Now do these things. Do you agree? And kind mm-hmm. of the marriage proposal yes. ensues after that. After the after the vows are <laughs> are performed, yeah. uh, and they say, you know, obviously they choose Moses over over being their people. But no, I mean, not not simple. Um, very very precise, right? Very, very precise, precise of of exact links, materials to be used, uh, material not to be used. Mm-hmm. Very specific types of wood, uh, types of metal, and uh, curtain lengths. And, uh, uh, dimensions of mm-hmm. the tabernacle. If you're um, reading the Bible in a year, this is this, these are some of the passages that can feel a bit rigorous because sure, it's very. I mean, it's literally like reading a, a buy list or like you know a shopping list of here's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But there's purpose in it for sure. So so so, what do you think was God's purpose in being so specific to you? Do you think that that there was uh, well, first of all, okay, let me, uh, so before I talk about the specificity of it, why, why a tent in the first place? Like, why did God choose a tent to dwell among his people? Well, uh, Stephen, I'm so not? glad that you asked. Why not? <laughs> we just discussed this a few minutes ago. Uh, but this is really, really brilliant of why a tent. Okay. So the, the uh, I'll lay this out a little bit. So Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai and the Lord allows him to see into the throne room. Now, the truth of the matter is whatever Moses is seeing makes zero sense to his brain. Our earthly brains could not understand what the throne room looks like, mm-hmm. but God gives him a glimpse. And the idea here is I want you to create on earth a version of this. 
right? So that's, that's the concept, but no earthly material can create what's there. Mm-hmm. So what God does, which I think is just so brilliant, he uses a, uh, let's call it a vehicle. He uses a manifestation of materials that the Israelites can understand. So the Israelites are already pitching tents all over the desert, all at the base of this mountain. I can't imagine how many, six, seven million people mm-hmm. all have pitched these tents. Uh, remember this word, ohel, for a tent. We'll, we'll touch on that here in a minute, but they've all pitched these common tents. So God designs and has Moses build a an instrument, a home that God can come visit that looks just like their home. Now, God could have built a very opulent marble Roman Empire type thing. He mm-hmm. could have built a very opulent golden Egyptian type thing, but he built something that made sense to the Israelite people. And I'm going to read this verbatim because this, I think this is very important. The Israelites were living in tents at the time, and for the Lord to command the pitching of his tent, his ohel, therefore symbolized his coming alongside, his identification with them and with their circumstances. Mm. So God chose that instrument, <laughs> that design because he knew this is what you understand. It's so gracious and it's so kind. Yeah. Like it's 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 so beautiful. And we were kind of laughing because we have I mean, we have ruminated on this topic so many times and this is the first time that this has ever clicked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and, and really, I mean, for me it's it's just another like um tying together of the old and new testament of God's merciful character and graciousness. A lot of times you'll hear God of the Old Testament was always angry and, and you know, uh, wouldn't be approached. And the God of the New Testament is love. But you find signs like this in the Old Testament of God being so so gracious and merciful to a people that <laughs> didn't want him to, like, we're, we're, we're rebellious, we're ungrateful, uh, wanted nothing to do with God. But God still choosing to pursue and to, to show his goodness and to, and to bless his people and be faithful to his word mm-hmm. uh, because he said, he said he, he made a covenant with himself with Abraham. He's like, I am going to bless you. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make it happen. You guys are 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 making it difficult, but we're, we're going to make. I'm continuing to be faithful to my word because that's who I am. And just just the level of of commitment and and love and and mercy that God has shown that God showed them now. And of course, obviously that that's amplified whenever the the true tabernacle shows mm-hmm. up. Um, but it makes it sweeter when the 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 fullness of of God's redemptive plan comes to full fruition, mm-hmm. but but you see shadows of it and a good dose of mercy here. Oh man, the God showing by choosing to dwell among well, and him thinking, in the common tent, you know, yeah, just like thinking a, like I'm going to make something that makes sense to you people. And this this you fast forward all the way to Christ, and we see John one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm. Jesus was sent to earth and clothed in human human likeness or humanity. He could have showed up as some Marvel Superman superhero character sure. that would have commanded instantaneous authority, instant attention. Mm-hmm. Overnight would have been the most powerful being on the earth. But he clothed himself in what we look like and put on our humanity and lived a life that we couldn't. Yeah. God yeah. Mm-hmm. puts 
wraps around his presence, his tangible presence of God, his Shekinah glory, wraps right, it right. in something that the Israelites can understand, which is like, it just still, every time that I think about this and I talk about this, it blows my mind. And then it connects to, to it makes me think of Hebrews 4.15, hmm. for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses because he went through everything yeah. that we did. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Isn't that awesome? <sighs> the yes, Hebrew language yes. is quite a dense one. It is. It is. And I told you um, this the other day that I had spent a ton of time studying this one particular combination of words mm-hmm. and was quite frustrated because none of it made sense. I'm not the smartest guy, but I value... Mm my ability to catch on to things fairly quickly and I could not grasp this. Now, one morning I came down particularly and I was like, Lord, I really want to understand this. I really want to get my brain around this, but you're gonna have to help me. So Holy Spirit, I need you to speak to me through this. Mm -hmm. And it finally clicked. So we have three particular words here that I want to talk about that kind of summate. Is that a word? Summarize? Summarize. Uh, summa- uh, Please cut out my uh, ignorance here. <laughs> Summate. <laughs> Summation. Actually, it's, you it's can a... leave it in. That's fine. <laughs> makes you more relatable. Summarize. Yeah. These yeah. three words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes me more relatable if I'm stupid. <laughs> hey, man, I like just, that guy. He's just I'm like just, me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just saying, hey, trust me, there's plenty of moments in this podcast where I said something. I was like, oh, I could have said. <laughs> that made no sense whatsoever. Hey guys, we're talking. also just two dads, yes, uh, yes. you know, trying to get some sleep, drinking some coffee yes. and, and water, trying and to water. Uh, yeah. trying to <laughs> okay. So we have these three words and each of them have unique meanings and all of them are connected. So mm-hmm. I, I'd mentioned earlier this word, Ohel, mm-hmm. uh, another word, Sakan, Sakan. Uh, and our last word is Mikdash or Mikdas. McDosh, yeah. McDosh, McDosh, McDoshnels. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had a McDoshnels double cheeseburger? <laughs> oh, Mc- sorry, sorry. McDoshnels. I have been to Israel and have had have had McDoshnels, <laughs> kosher a kosher burger, no cheese. <laughs> oh my lord. Anyway, okay. Sorry, you're trying to be super serious. Yeah. And no, 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 I'm here. not. I'm yeah. not terribly serious. Anyways, and oh hell, we talked about this earlier. Is kind of the common terminology for the tent that you lived in. So home. So just your average tent, every Israelite Normal family home. had that. Okay. Yes. So if I, like, this is my house, right? It's not the White House because the White House has different distinction. Mm-hmm. It's not a palace. It is a, it's just my house, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this idea of a couple words here that don't have any meaning until something shifts. So the tabernacle as a structure still technically is an hill, as it is. But the difference is, and it's, it's interesting when you're reading through Exodus, <clears throat> after the Lord establishes that he wants them to build a tabernacle, he doesn't have them build the tabernacle first. He gives them instructions to build the Ark of the Covenant. Right, right. That's the first, first piece. It's the first piece. Second piece is the menorah. Mm-hmm. We'll get into all that, mm. how, how cool that is. But the, te- the Ark of the Covenant housed or... Channeled is not the right word. I don't like that word, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the idea is this is the beacon point for the presence of God. It's where the presence of God can reside. Right. This is the Sakan. Came and dwelled among us. Mm. Build this for me, right? We go back up here to this first verse. The Israelites were to make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Mm. This dwell is very different. 
right? So this is, this is God's presence coming to the Ohel. So I did this in, in very, uh, like caveman terminology, Ohel plus Sakan equals Mikdash mm. without the Sakan, which is a verb without the Sakan, without the dwelling, mm-hmm. the Ohel is just that. Right. Right. And what's the, as he mentioned to me a second ago, what's the, is there another Hebrew word that is close to Sakan? Ah, that's, yes. That's, uh, the, the Shekinah. Yeah. So the like, Shekinah glory, his glory, right. Or mm-hmm. his presence, the, yeah, the, yeah. the fullness of who he is. So, so you take the, the Ohel, mm-hmm. regular old tent, you add the, the glory and presence of God and you have a sanctuary, essentially yes. a, a holy place that is set apart. Um, because of the Sakan. Yes. Right? And, and, and the Mikdash is, is very profound because it's rooted in the verb. I'm reading this. This is not for, <laughs> I just don't want people to think I'm this loaded, man. <laughs> uh, Mikdash rooted in the verb Kadesh to be holy. The noun means a place where holiness is. And it specifies the tabernacle as the place where the Lord in his holiness, in the full reality of the glory of his nature would come to settle among his people. That's a sentence. It's a a dense (laughs) sentence. Now, Mm. if that sentence, like it was for me, felt uh, like it, you like heard all the words, but it it felt like word soup. Um, It's very, that's how it was. The first time I read it, I was like, I know it's words. I know it's important, but none of that makes any sense to me. Um, The other way that we can understand this is through our process of salvation. Hmm. We, when we come out of the womb, we are in Ohel. Mm-hmm. We yeah. are, we are a human being. It's not until we invite hmm. God's loving presence into us and we turn our lives over to him that he comes to Sakan in us that we become a Mikdash. Absolutely. And what's the what's the thing that comes to dwell within us? His spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. His Holy right? Spirit. That's he right. He marks us as as you know Ephesians one says that he marks us and seals us with his spirit. So that is his his very presence, his personal, his painted presence comes to live within us mm-hmm. and takes our ohel, our fleshly tent, as Paul called it. Right? He even called. So it's crazy. Like the, I mean, it's all in the Bible, right? Just read. Just <laughs> just like just make the connections, right? It's 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 kind of crazy. Like whenever you're like going back and looking at it of of the continuity of God's plan from the beginning and Absolutely. how, how this, how this uh, foreshadowed and anticipated the fullness of it. You know, mm-hmm. so, so whenever the Israelites saw it finally, uh, you know, certainly most of them didn't believe, but those that, that were, uh, that had their eyes open by the spirit and were able to see it. were like, Oh yes, this is what he's been talking about the whole time. Yes. This earthly tent. Now the spirit's going to come live within me and I'm going to be a Mikdash. I'm mm-hmm. going to be a vessel made holy by God's Holy Spirit. Uh, for his glory and, and cleansed out and uh, made into a new, a whole new creation. Um, mm-hmm. But me apart without the Holy Spirit, I am just a, a regular old, you know, earthly tent That's right. with no, nothing special or significant about me, but with the spirit, I'm a whole the different spirit creation. is the distinction, right? Because yeah. even Jesus talks about this when he says this body will, you'll, you'll tear down this temple and three days later it'll be raised. Mm-hmm. It's not about the physical body. It's not about the, the, the tabernacle as a structure ceased to exist at some point in history, mm-hmm. right? It moved into different aspects. There was Solomon's temple. There was David's temple. There was di- If it was about the tent itself, then that structure would have been revered, and that's what we would have seen oh, over and over again. Isn't that true? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. But as these things change, the important part is the tangible presence of God. 
Hmm. The ark, the ark moved. Yeah. But even the ark represents a bit of that as well, is that without the process of the tabernacle, without the liturgy, if you will, going through it, the order and the structure, it itself is its own holding thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's, It's its own box. Right. It's about the presence that resides on the box. Right, right. right. The invisible presence, the invisible the, the, presence, the, the yes. intangible, but you know, obviously the uh, the very real, but but invisible and you know, uh, without yeah, there's no I mean it's very sorry, a cultural note is every other religion, ancient near eastern religion at the time the Canaanites, the the Philistines, uh, so every other pagan religion that the Israelites were eventually called to remove uh, from the land all had similar dwellings to this where they housed their God. They had a tent that they made and set up a shrine, but every one of them had a physical representation of their God, mm. an idol that that uh, the people could worship that idol and uh, sacrifice to that idol, and the idol may or may not uh, hear them, um, and if he couldn't hear them, then they'd have to try harder and work harder to try yep. and earn the idol's affection. So, so, so set that in contrast with the Ark of the Covenant where... It's just God's footstool. You know, it's just, it's not even like yeah. God himself. It's just a throne for him to sit on or for him to, to, to be upon. Yeah. So, so it hasn't, you know, it's just a place for him to sit. Um, and yeah, because like what you mentioned a second ago, it's like any time that, I mean, we already have a hard enough time as, as humans worshiping things that are created oh and, my gosh, and, and, and wanting some sort of tangible thing to, to, to put our trust and our faith and hope in. Uh, that God graciously, you know, doesn't give us the, the option. That's the first commandment. Uh, you know, worship the God and Him alone. And then second, have no idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, make nothing out of out of hand carved stone. Uh, he was uh, very no... suspicious. I mean, suspicious. <laughs> He's very sus. <laughs> <laughs> He's very specific. Specific. Yeah. Good yeah. grief. He was, he was very specific was. about it. And you can go through the entire book of Exodus, and it's almost at, at least every single chapter where he makes mention. Don't worship those gods. Do not. Right. <laughs> over and over again. And then even goes a step further. Don't set up something and then worship it as me. Yeah, absolutely. Even the altar construction, yes. right? We talked about like, that. The, you're the, not, you, don't carve the stones. Yes. Don't make it beautiful. Don't make it pretty because you're going to start you know, worshiping the structure. Then it becomes a structure. And the same thing with the tabernacle. I think that there was some some design behind it of... It's portable. It's mm-hmm. not meant to be permanent. It's not meant to be anything crazy. Like you mentioned, the, the construction of it was common. Mm-hmm. So the, well, the, there was be, nothing it, that, the, that... Even that idea of it being moved, you're, you're not, we're not going to set up a Mecca here. Yeah, there's no physical location of where this presence resides. And we saw what happened in Jerusalem whenever the temple was finally built as the Jews got, got super... Uh, they're like, oh, God's not going to destroy the city because his presence lives here. Mm-hmm. He, he can't. He can't go anywhere else, you know, because we built him this permanent temple here. And God's like, you're wrong. And and obviously, you know, they came under judgment and were exiled to Babylon. But it, it led to that of like, this is God's holy city. Jerusalem can't fall. Yeah. And it led to them being pretentious and and uh, presuming on God's grace. Yeah. And uh, man, it was it was disastrous. And yeah, it's just so there's tons of spiritual application for that today. But um, yeah, I think it's just really really beautiful how this historical um, studying the tabernacle helps you just understand so much more like the, the, the beauty of, of Jesus mm-hmm. and the, and the gift it is to, uh, uh, to know him. Well, it's changed the, it's changed the tone of 
Jesus's life and death for me immensely mm-hmm. because, you know, we've talked a lot about the historical significance. We've talked about, you know, the, the Hebrew and all those kinds of things, but the real nuts and bolts of this is this parallels our lives so much. It is not about, this is just an earthly form. And this is not what this life is about is keeping and maintaining this in as perfect order as possible, keeping this tent exactly how it should be. Mm-hmm. No. And this, go, this also parallels too with our churches, right? Our churches are just buildings. If God does not come and dwell in our services and in what we do, it is just, quite honestly, as long as I've worked at church, if God doesn't show up, it is a lot of work to put on this whole thing. Not for sure. And if he's not showing up. What's the up, point? Right? What's the point? <laughs> it's like we're, we're doing all this and, and yeah, and, and worshiping. If we're doing all this and he's not showing up or he's not being honored or glorified, then it's mm. like, why Why are we, you know. Why do point, all this? We are doing, you know, there's something that we're worshiping besides God. You know, oh, if, absolutely. If that's the, um, and that's been a, yeah, something that's been heavy on my heart too of, of um, from a worship team perspective specifically, how easy it can be to to slip into the um, just day in and day out routine of of, of executing songs well mm-hmm. um, and and you know possibly missing the um, the spiritual significance of what's going on and making sure that we are a preparing the uh, we are prepared tabernacles as we come together and and lead worship so um, so what do you so what do we think about um, so trying to draw like what is so we've kind of briefly mentioned the 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 liturgy and kind of how we think about uh the tabernacle why is it important to have a uh, structure and and an order why is the journey of worship important to follow yeah uh, how does it why does it um yeah, why is it important to follow? I guess yeah, that's yeah. my question. So when we when we say the word journey of worship again, we, we we mentioned at the top we want to help establish some vocabulary here and some same verbiage that we're all using. The journey of worship is going through each of these stops in the tabernacle of Moses. So this is the gate, the altar, the laver, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Each of these stops has kind of a different heart posture towards them. So just a quick overview is, you know, or contrasting a couple of the stops, the gate is high praise to God, right? It's grace. It's, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have anything without you, right? Mm -hmm. Contrasted against the altar. The altar is all about the cross, right? This is where, this is where we let go of who we are, the plans that we have and each of these stops. So there's, there's a different heart posture for each stop, which is the journey of worship. Mm -hmm. Why use it? right? Mm-hmm. Why not just pick the songs that I like? Well, um, my subjectivity in picking songs can begin to, um, let me think about how to put this. It can begin to put me at the center of the worship process. I don't want to be at the center of the worship process. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just picking songs that I like things that make me feel good. Well, I had a moment in my quiet time with this song, so everybody else will. So ultimately, what we're talking about here with the journey of worship and using the Tabernacle of Moses as a overlay is God was very 
intentional with how the Israelites interacted with the tabernacle. And that was for a reason. That's not for God. God didn't do this because he's so petty or because he's weak. That, that, those, it's almost like an oxymoron. Why would the all-powerful God need you to do this a very specific way? And if you don't do it that way, then he doesn't like it because that, that to mm. me seems, th- those seem oxymoronic to, to each other. Right. God lays this out in a certain way because he knows you guys need to go through this process this particular way so that mm. by the time you arrive in my presence, you're ready. Mm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So the the there's lots of examples of this, but the one that I think is most brilliant that Jimmy Witcher gives all the time, Pastor Jimmy Witcher gives all the time, is going on a date with your wife. Right? The ultimate goal of date night is not physic not just physical intimacy, but being in an intimate place with my wife of being able to share my heart and open up about who I am, right? The date night isn't a means to get what I want. It's a process that both of us are engaging in. Mm -hmm. We've both agreed, I want to be closer to you. I want to know you in a different way. But we can't, it's hard sometimes for us as human beings to just jump right there. Sure. Right? You even go a step further, physical intimacy, that's, that's really difficult to just... Yeah. Go right there. For sure. The idea here is, is that, hey, we're going to go through a process. We're going to go through a liturgy, if you want to use that yeah, term, yeah. of date night so that we arrive at this place of openness with one another at the same time. Mm. That's a really big deal. For us, you know, if you've been married for a long time, date night is very important because you can very easily just get in the rut of doing things. Oh, it's it's busy. Ah, it's hard. Oh, I don't know if we're going to find a sitter. Like, you need that. You need ha- you need it planned out a week in advance. You need it planned out two weeks in advance, whatever it is, to get a sitter. Right. There's anticipation. You know that it's happening. There's nothing that's going to change it, right? Mm-hmm. So I come home from work. I got to make sure I leave work on time. I come home. I'm going to shower up. I'm not just going to be like, yeah, I'll just go in my work clothes, whatever. That's maybe a certain kind of date night, but this is date night. This right. is nice date night, Right. right. I'm going to come home. I'm going to shower. I'm going to get on nice clothes. We're going to go out. I'm going to put on cologne. She's going to put on perfume. We are getting decked out. We are ready. We get in the car. I am enamored by her. You look amazing. I'm not exactly sure how I convinced you to marry me. (laughs) This is high praise, Mm -hmm. right? I'm so thankful for you. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about tonight. Tonight's going to be so fun. Anticipation. Anticipation. Excitement. We get to the restaurant. We start having our appetizers. We have a glass of wine, whatever it is. We're getting our drinks. We're, we're looking at the menu. We're chatting a small talk, right? Mm-hmm. We start moving through the course of the evening. We have our entree. We get to dessert. We have all, all of these things are leading us where moment by moment, minute by minute, my heart is unraveling more mm-hmm. and it's opening up to her. We can't just sit down as soon as we get to the restaurant and be like, hey, what's your deepest, darkest fear? For sure. Or tell me what's going on in your heart of hearts. Yes. Like, it's kind of like a, you, you can't get there. Yeah, you know, yeah. you or, hey, there. last week when we got into a fight, why did it bother you so much? There you go. She's going to be like, <laughs> dude, we're about to go For a sure. completely different direction Yeah. with that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the evening, it's to unravel my heart and mm-hmm. it's to unravel her heart. Those things throughout the week, those sticky things, the, the hangups, 
frustrations, the kids, bills, money, whatever it is, all those things get stuck on our heart. And that process of the evening is to take those things off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by the end of the evening, I know you and you know me. Right. And I'm just there's, with you. There's the, yeah, the, the face-to-face -face intimacy, yes. which is, I mean, what a great analogy, right? Of, of that's the, the goal of the whole process. That's of, the goal of the of whole the, process. Of the journey of worship from the gate all the way to the Holy of And Holies. it's not to get something either. I think that's the, that's the other thing that is very. It's to take something and then, yes. and then leave or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, the, the goal is. Yeah. Communion, fellowship. To be with you. To be, yeah. Intimate and to realize communion. that I, the thing I thought I needed, I just need to be with you. Right. I didn't need you to act a certain way. I didn't need you to give me something. Sure. I just wanted to, you know, for, for, for a wife and husband analogy, at the end of the night, you're like, man, I'm just so grateful and in awe of you mm -hmm. and so thankful for you in a different way than like the high praise at the yes, gate, but just absolutely. an intimate like, man, I'm so thankful for you. There, there's no like, I wish you would do this or, or I'm so thankful that you do this for me. It's like, no, mm -hmm. you. Then the same is true with God whenever we sure. get to the end of that, that journey. It's, it's, He's the whole goal and the whole reason for even going through the process in the first place. And a lot of times, uh, yeah. sometimes we can lose sight of that and maybe stop, you know, stop in the courtyard or stuff, you know, like I'd be wondering, you know, without really going in and having fellowship with him. Um, well, and I will, I'll make one other, and this isn't to be crass, but it's, it's to drive home the point. If we did all of, if, if we go through that entire date night and arrive at the end and I say, Hey, um, if you liked all of this, I would like you now to, to satisfy my physical needs. Right. I'm, and then turning it inward. Yeah. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've done, I've done my stuff. Now give me my things. Right. That you have just killed whatever process you built, whatever you did that night, it became transactional. Absolutely. And that is what God commands yeah. over and over again. We are not in a transactional relationship. Right. God made a covenant with himself because he knew we couldn't hold up our end of the deal. Mm -hmm. So if we get transactional with God, Lord's like, this didn't work ever yeah. <laughs> for me to like, we already tried this. Mm -hmm. We already tried for you to hold up your end of the deal and you couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I've already provided something. There is no more transaction. We are not doing transactional things because you can't hold up your end of the deal. Right. And that's okay. But we are not going to get into a transactional deal between me and you. You're not going to get into my presence and then be like, okay, now give me the thing that I want. Well, man, isn't it like you won't so, even get in the presence? Quite honestly, no. The Lord knows you can't your get heart. There. You can't get there, uh, and you, you honestly can't even get into the holy place. Like if you're if you're there, he's asking you to cleanse, probably, and you're probably stuck in the courtyard, like like still not not cleansing the things that need to be mm -hmm. cleansed off before you come into uh, come into his holy place. Um, it makes me think of him showing up and turning over the tables, flipping those tables. Like, you're here for a transactional right. interaction with the Lord transactional relationship here. I give you X amount of dollars. You give me thing. Mm -hmm. I then do the thing and I'm good, right? No. Cause I know your heart's not in the right place. Absolutely. You've and turned this into a den of thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause you're just here to get something from me. Yeah. And, and, just, and thankfully, you know, uh, really it's not, it's not, yeah. It's like you mentioned a minute ago. It's not cause God's petty or needs our worship or our praise, or he's, he, he's actually, he's, he, the reason he's jealous and the reason that he won't let us be satisfied with things besides himself is because he's a good God and he can't let us be sat or, you know, he can't watch us go and worship idols and, and yeah. destroy ourselves and, and destroy our families without intervening or, mm -hmm. you know, bringing up things that are going to try and curb us back into, Hey, you know, uh, there's consequences for this. Hey, 
yeah. come into my presence. You, what you really need is me. You, you keep asking me for things to satisfy you and, and to make you happy, but I'm the, I'm the source. You know, you're yeah. asking me to provide something for you that you would be satisfied, but I am, I am the, the, the bread of life. I'm and the, he himself the, can't be transactional. He can't look at you and say, well, you didn't do the right thing. So I'm withholding this from you. His ways are higher than our ways. <laughs> for sure. For sure. The yeses that we receive, the no's that we receive, we can't comprehend. The Lord can, the Lord sees, the Lord is beyond time. He is outside of time. He does not interact with time the same way that we do. So even that, when we try to transactionally engage with him, mm-mm. yeah, and he, he cannot, well, his nature won't allow man, him. Think about, okay. So, you know, obviously we have an imperfect analogy, but this one really plays out really well of, of the father son relationship. Uh, if, if Daniel continually asks me for something that I know is going to harm him, would I be a good father if I just gave him that thing? Whenever I knew that, like, he keeps asking me for, we'll say fireworks or something. I don't know. This is something yeah. that could possibly possibly cause him harm. Uh, and he keeps asking me for it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give this to you. And, you know, what? you can have what you want. Uh, not if I'm a good dad. You know, yeah, yeah. And not if I really care about him and love him. I'm going to deny him because, hey, mm-hmm. I love you too much. You don't need that. Trust me. Trust me. Hey, but um, you know what's amazing about this example, though? For a season, it will be no, but there will come a time in Daniel's life where it will be a yes. Sure, sure. Because he's walked with you and you've walked with him and you've said, you know what? You've come to a point, you are of a certain age that you understand the consequences. If you if you mess around and you put an M80 in your shoe, you're not going to have a foot. I know that you know that. <laughs> sure. But you know what I'm saying? So that's that's even the, the brilliance of it is that the Lord, for certain seasons, the Lord knows what you can handle. Sure. The Lord knew what the Israelites could handle. And the Lord knew this tabernacle is going to be the best way for you to be able to, for me to come dwell with you and for you to interact with me. Mm-hmm. This is the only way. Yeah, absolutely. Which is so brilliant <clears throat> that the, the Israelites were having this encounter on Mount Sinai and they couldn't stay there right? Mount Sinai was not the promised land. Mount Sinai was a very important moment, but they couldn't stay there. Hmm. And so as they leave this place, the tabernacle then starts to take on this whole different meaning, which is God's presence is going with us. Wherever we set this up, and more importantly, when we participate in the process, the way God asked us to, his presence shows up. So no matter where we go, we don't have to, we don't have to stay here at Mount Sinai. This wasn't the promised land. Mm -hmm. We can go to the promised land. We can, no matter where we go, we have the tent with us, which Mm -hmm. means if we're obedient and we do as God tells us to, God's presence is going to show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. He will be with us. Oh, perfect. Perfect. What was I saying? I don't even remember. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The, the, the really cool, um, yeah, that's really good. I think that's a, yeah. Sorry, you can finish out the episode if you want. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I'm, done. I'm done. I'm toast. Um, well, ultimately, I think what we're what we're trying to say here is that the tabernacle itself, as a structure, is not the important thing. The tabernacle was a vehicle for God's presence, mm-hmm. and the process of interacting with the tabernacle was God being a good father to his kids and saying, I know what's best for you. So when we use this as an overlay for what we do, those concepts still apply. 
to my everyday life. If it's a no over and over again, I'm going to press in and say, Hey, this feels like I'm, I'm pressing in. I want this thing. You're, you're clearly, this is not a thing. What's going on. Mm-hmm. Or I accept it. That's fine. I understand, but I'm in, I'm engaging with the Lord on his terms. I'm not engaging with him. And my relationship is not based on how many yeses I get or how many no's I get. My relationship is based on the Mikdash. Right. Mikdash. Mm-hmm. I keep mm-hmm. saying that wrong. Yeah. So ultimately what we're asking for here is I don't want to just be the common ohel. Mm-hmm. I'm asking for the do- come dwell in me as, as a worship team. Come dwell in this worship. If you don't show up, we're just a okay cover band. Right, right. Playing songs that are okay as a cover band. Right. It's it's the sakan. It's the dwelling. Come and dwell in this building with us. Come and dwell during this service and move how you want to. Mm. But we are going to do what you've asked us to do. Yeah. You've asked us to prepare our hearts. You've asked us throughout the week to do these things. This is the liturgy of arriving at Sunday. It's not all about Sunday, but that concept of arriving on Sunday ready to worship as a group. These have a lot of parallels to the Israelite nation. We're doing this as a group one time a year, the day of atonement. Uh-huh. We're going to wash sin for all of you. Anyways, we could continue going down this road. <laughs> um, and we we th- but this, you know, just to put a bow on it. This has been to help establish part of our foundation yeah, for what yeah. we're going to be discussing. Yeah. To, to give some light, like on the historical, mm-hmm. like why, why God provided yeah, a tent. Why you guys place. keep talking about this? Why is this, you know, why was he specific in the tent? Like, why was it given in the first place? Uh, then also like, like a couple of the, like a general overview of the tabernacle and why we use the journey of worship, mm-hmm. uh, why it's useful and why we recommend it and sure. why, um, you know, it's not for God, it's for us. Mm-hmm. Why the process uh, works. Yep. And um, it's such a, it's such a cool, um, and it's really helped us a lot to, to not, um, just pick songs based on emotion or based on, on highs and lows and trying to get, you know, certain mm-hmm. emotions out of people, but to really yeah. move them along uh, the journey. And so. I promise you, we're not baiting you as we go through these stops. We will, we'll, we'll make some of this make more sense as we go along, but we're needing to lay the groundwork. So uh, thank you again for joining us for mm-hmm. this, uh, this voyage that we are embarking on. Um, as always, I want to make sure that we communicate tabernacle worship is the worship department and the worship team of Trinity Fellowship. If you are looking for a church home, Trinity Fellowship, uh, obviously I'm incredibly partial. I've been here for a really long time. It gets no better than this place. Mm-hmm. I love Trinity Fellowship. It's amazing. Um, if you are looking for a church home, go visit tfc.org. Um, we would love to connect with you. We have campuses all over Texas. We have an amazing online campus. Uh, so go check that out. But I just wanted to make sure that people understand the only reason we're able to do this is because of Trinity Fellowship. Yep. So until we see you the next time. <laughs>